Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From the pages of The New Yorker, this is the Weekly Comment Podcast. In Winning Votes, Jeffrey Tubin delves into the voting rights fight. One of the unsung heroes of the civil rights legislation of the 1960s is a Republican congressman from Ohio named Bill McCulloch. Representing a nearly all-white district north of Dayton, McCulloch reflected the values of what was then still justifiably called the Party of Lincoln. McCulloch preferred the term equal rights to civil rights because, as he put it, the Constitution doesn't say that whites alone shall have our most basic rights, but that we shall all have them. In that spirit, and in partnership with Senator Everett Dirksen of Illinois and fellow Republican, McCulloch did as much as anyone, apart from President Lyndon Johnson and those involved in the movement itself, to create and pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. As Todd Purdom notes in his book An Idea Whose Time Has Come, when McCulloch announced his retirement in 1971, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis sent him a handwritten note saying, I know that you, more than anyone, were responsible for the civil rights legislation of the 1960s. This year's midterm campaign demonstrated just how thoroughly the Republican Party, under the leadership of President Trump, has repudiated this heritage. As usual, Trump himself set the tone by tweeting shortly before Election Day, law enforcement has been strongly notified to watch closely for any illegal voting which may take place in Tuesday's election or early voting. Anyone caught will be subject to the maximum criminal penalties allowed by law. It's easy to trace the lineage of this threat to the Jim Crow era when African Americans were threatened with arrest, and worse, if they tried to register to vote. Many persisted in doing so anyway. Today, the methods employed may be less harsh, but the goal remains the same, to prevent certain Americans from exercising their rights. The Voting Rights Act was designed to redress intimidation and discrimination, but since the Supreme Court effectively neutered the law in the 2013 case of Shelby County v. Holder, Republicans have embraced voter suppression with enthusiasm. In nearly every state where the GOP has controlled the governorship and the legislature, it has tried to limit access to voting, most onerously established such unnecessary requirements as having to produce a photo ID in order to register. In a new twist this year, Native Americans in North Dakota were required to show a street address, which many people in that rural state do not have. The stated justification for these actions has been to thwart incidents of voter fraud, such as non-citizens attempting to cast ballots, which is nearly a non-existent problem. Trump and other Republicans turned voter fraud into a sort of all-purpose epithet, which they have used to make spurious claims about the legitimate counting and recounting of votes in Florida, Georgia, and Arizona. Nonetheless, there were several important victories for voting rights this year. Florida voted overwhelmingly to rid the state of a vestige of its Jim Crow days, a law that forbade former felons from voting and thus to reenfranchise 1.4 million citizens. In Kansas, Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State, who was the architect of many of the worst voter suppression schemes in the past decade, was defeated in the governor's race. North Carolina, which became a graveyard for voting rights after the Shelby County case, added a Democrat to the state Supreme Court, 
who will help protect the right to vote from the Republican-dominated legislature. And in New York, Democrats won a majority in the state Senate, where together with Governor Andrew Cuomo and the Democratic majority in the Assembly, they have promised to reform the state's appallingly restrictive rules on early and absentee voting. Even the good news from the election comes with a caveat, however. According to an analysis by the Brennan Center for Justice, Democrats won the overall popular vote in the 435 races for the House of Representatives by about 9%, but they managed to capture only a relatively narrow majority of seats. This is because the district lines are so egregiously gerrymandered, especially in states fully controlled by Republicans. Victories across the country will likely give Democrats a seat at the table when the lines are redrawn after the 2020 census. But gerrymandering deserves a less level playing field than a burial. Unfortunately, the only institution that could end the partisan practice, the Supreme Court, ducked its best chance to intervene when earlier this year it declined to upset the Republican redistricting of Wisconsin. Now, with the replacement of Anthony Kennedy by Brett Kavanaugh, it appears virtually certain that the justices will not take up the issue in a productive way. And since Trump has effectively outsourced his judicial appointments to the Federalist Society, the incubator of far-right thinking on the law, recourse to the federal courts on voting rights, may be a fading notion. Still, November brought some cause for optimism, and not only in the results from the first Tuesday. Just before the Federalist Society's annual conference, a dozen prominent members, led by George T. Conway III, the husband of the White House counselor Kellyanne Conway, announced that they are forming a group called Checks and Balances, which will seek to encourage conservatives to speak out whenever the president violates constitutional principles. We believe in the rule of law, they wrote. We believe in the Constitution. Coming from conservatives in the Trump era, such modest statements sound almost revolutionary. But this flicker of conscience offers the hope that more Republicans will try to reclaim the mantle of their predecessors. It is clear, at least, that the new crop of legislators, many of them women, many of them people of color, and all of them elected thanks to the engagement and the power of women voters, will do what they can to protect the right to vote. There's also a lot of creative thinking going on about how to make elections fairer, with ideas like multiple-member districts and ranked-choice voting went into effect in Maine this year, getting serious consideration. As civil rights heroes have known since the country's founding, in a democracy, all rights begin with the right to vote. Or, as Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote, the right to exercise the franchise in a free and unimpaired manner is preservative of other basic civil and political rights. He started out as a Republican, too. That was Winning Votes by Jeffrey Tubin from The New Yorker magazine, November 26, 2018. Narrated by Jamie Rennell. Also in the magazine this week, Patricia Marks on domestic robots. Sam Knight on how proteins can unlock the secrets of ancient manuscripts. Bill McKibben on the challenges of climate change. Rafi Kachadorian on brain-controlled machines for the paralyzed. Joan Acachella on Rashawn Mitchell and Silas Rayner. Julian Lucas on the novels of Matthias Einar, Alex Ross on the Los Angeles Philharmonic, Emily Nussbaum on Please Like Me, Alexandra Schwartz on The Prom and Tom Paine, 
Anthony Lane on The Favorite and Shoplifters, fiction by Garth Greenwell, and more. Audible.com produces a weekly audio edition of The New Yorker. To subscribe or to download individual issues, we invite you to go to www.audible.com and enter New Yorker in the search box. To subscribe to the comment podcast, go to www.newyorker.com or to the New Yorker room on the iTunes store.